Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Alcantara, Soroka, you look so good in Boca. Peralta, Manoa, Balsak, Ferrer, Nola, Gilito, Castillo, Yoshida, Mosusuka. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on January 12th. Frank Scott and Chris here to take a closer look at 2023 breakouts and discuss whether or not they will repeat in 2024. Also, we have some smaller moves to discuss. Marcus Stroman to the Yankees and Michael Bush. That's right. Yeah, that Bush. No, no small move, baby. No <laughs> small move. Was traded over to the Chicago Cubs. You know, I love with the Kokomo Friday intro that the further we get from Connor, Joe, having a I was, job. I was, was going <laughs> to say. I was just saying, we need to like, we need to update it. No, I, I, I like, love it. I love it. How, how many years are you going to be no, like, <laughs> is, is the Kokomo theme song going to declare your love for Connor, Joe, who in a few years, the listeners won't even know who he is probably because he was such a blip on the, uh, on the the, the 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 fantasy landscape but the ogs they'll remember scott they'll know oh, about the old connor joe let's talk about some of these moves first and foremost and we are going to start with marcus stroman who signed with the yankees we've heard some chatter over the past couple days that this was close to happening and the terms of the deal two years 37 million dollars with a vesting option for the third year we pretty much know who Marcus Stroman is at this point. Uh, in 2023, a 395 ERA, 126 whip, below a strikeout per inning, still gets a ton of ground balls, 57% ground ball rate. And uh, one thing I guess that's popped up the past two years has been limited to under 140 innings pitched each of the past two seasons. Uh, last year, it was hip inflammation. The year before, it was right shoulder inflammation. But Chris, we'll start with you. When Stroman pitches... You know what you're going to get. Solid ratios, less than a strikeout per inning. 
probably more of like a back-end fantasy starter, borderline streamer, I guess you could say. Yeah, he he's fine to have around when things are going. He's easy to cast off when things are not going well. I I, I don't think he's a particularly complicated player to figure out, but look, that ERA generally ends up in the 3-2 to 3-9 range at the end of the season. At least it has, you know, the last three seasons or so for him and four seasons, actually, going back to 2019. He didn't pitch in 2020, but he's been between 3-9-5 and 3-2-2 in four straight seasons. I, he's fine. I I don't think he's someone that you should ever be excited to draft, but he's unlikely to be harmed too badly by Yankee Stadium. Don't there's this like, oh, he has a six-something ERA at Yankee Stadium. The The Yankees aren't going to lend Aaron Judge to the other team. And Aaron Judge has something like an 800 slugging percentage against him. Yeah. So I don't care about that. He's yeah. he's a perfectly cromulent uh, back-end starter. Yeah, I mean, I the Yankees, he's like a good fit for them because they do have that homer-friendly park, especially – if the opposing lineup is loaded against lefties against a right-handed pitcher like Stroman, but Stroman is really good at getting ground balls. So I don't, I, I think he's a good fit for the Yankees in the respect that Yankee stadium will not really hurt him, but I don't think there's much to get excited about here either. If you're, if you're just assessing pitchers on ERA, Stroman is pretty good, uh, decent, but you know he's a he's a low strikeout pitcher with durability issues and and, so, and whip issues. Yeah, sure. I mean, ERA is really the only positive in his favor, and because he has trouble working deep into games. You know, he hasn't had more more than ten wins in a season since twenty seventeen. Uh, so yeah, I I I don't know, I mean, and and maybe I'm preaching to the choir here by just kind of poo pooing Marcus Stroman, but there does seem to be. There does seem to be a lot of enthusiasm whenever he's available on the market, whether it's trade market or the free agent market, which has happened a lot in the past few years. And I don't I don't really think he deserves that level of enthusiasm. Wow. You guys are such Yankee haters. No, I'm just kidding. I completely agree with you. Marcus Stroman is who he is. I think a name maybe that has more value in deeper leagues just because he has a higher floor. He kind of keeps you afloat. You know what you're going to get kind of thing. The ADP over the past month over at the NFBC for Marcus Stroman is 282.2 just after John Means and Michael Waka. So I think if I remember correctly, Scott, you had Waka in like the SP 70 ish range. Does that sound I, like I have him? Yeah, I have him just a few spots ahead of Stroman. I think that's okay. so it makes that's sense. probably a good place for him. Yeah, I think he's okay. I think he's a little better at working deep into games and has a better chance of delivering a useful whip than Stroman does. Uh, but they're more or less in the same tier. Okay, fair enough. All right, let's move on to that trade, which we mentioned earlier. A, ba- a big, massive trade for one Scott White because Michael Bush is free, <clears throat> baby. The Cubs have acquired... Back to Bush. <laughs> the mm. Cubs have acquired prospect Michael Bush and Yency Almonte from the Dodgers in exchange for two prospects, left-handed pitcher Jackson Ferris and outfielder Zaheer Hope. Uh, Michael Bush, a name we've talked about the past couple of years, he's crushed it in the minors. Uh, you know, he's a little bit older now. He's 26 years old, a former first-round pick back in 2019. 2023 in the PCL, triple slash, 323, 431, 618, 
with 27 home runs, has played mostly second base in his minor league career, but also has spent time at first base, third base, and left field. Scott, what do you think about the move? Where will Michael Bush play for the Cubs? I love it. This was the best news I got in any aspect of my life all day. (laughs) Was that Michael Bush was finally set free. I, I had just, you know, my top 100 prospects came out today. Michael Bush was obviously in it. And I talked about how how it seemed like it would take an act of God to get him in the lineup. And it turns out it just took an act of Jed Hoyer to get him in the lineup because uh, the Cubs stepped up. Really what I think happened was the Dodgers had another good, obviously they've been the most active team this offseason and they blocked Bush's every avenue to playing time. And they finally just, admitted to themselves, okay, this guy isn't the right fit for us. And he's already 26 years old. Uh, rather than waste this currency, uh, better to turn him into a couple of lower urgency prospects. That's what they got from the Cubs in this deal. Guys with high upside, but 19, 20 years old, they're not pounding down the door the way Bush is and they free up 40 man space for him. So, I mean, we heard at the trade deadline last year, the the Dodgers weren't willing to move Bush, but you know, now there's just no Avenue for him whatsoever. There is an Avenue for him with the Cubs. In fact, there are two avenues, first base and third base. And I think where Bush ultimately ends up, it's going to depend on what other move they make this off season. The Cubs have been linked to Reese Hoskins and Matt Chapman. And of course, Cody Bellinger. And I, I imagine they'll still bring one of those on the board, uh, on board and Bush will play the opposite side of the diamond. Um, but he'll play, is the point. No matter where he plays, he'll play with the Dod- with the Cubs. And, I mean, you broke down the numbers, that ridiculous slash line at AAA. Bush, you know, he's been productive throughout his minor league career. It's mostly manifested in, in terms of home runs and walks. We've seen the Max Muncie comparison for him before. But the scouting reports always liked his hit tool. Uh, this past year was the first year we saw him hit for average in the minors. One thing I noticed as he was coming up the ladder is that he tended to to struggle for like he would he would need a month or two to adapt to a new level and then he'd just take off. And so I think that's part of what's held his numbers back. I think because Bush is 26 and just now getting this chance, there's going to be uh, a presumption among some people that, okay, he's not really as good as his minor league numbers. So I do want to point out with Michael Bush, it's not just the, it's not just the forward facing numbers where he excels. His average exit velocity at AAA last year was 91.3 miles per hour. Uh, his zone contact rate was 89.5%. His swinging strike rate, only 7.7%. He is Michael Bush is like he he is extremely talented at knowing what pitches to swing at and then not missing them them when he does swing and i think there's there's not a much safer hitting profile than that so i'm thrilled with this news that he's he's finally going to get his opportunity i think he becomes an immediate sleeper in fantasy especially in points leagues because he's so good at drawing walks and um you know the left-handedness maybe makes it harder for him to be a full-time player right away, but if he performs like I think he will, that'll happen in short order. Michael Bush, as of now, only has third base eligibility on CBS. Chris, I think for now, maybe Michael Bush is a corner infielder in a deeper league, but more often than not, probably a bench piece with upside. Um, 
would you be willing to move Michael Bush ahead of other prospects that are third base eligible, like Brett Beatty or like a Jordan Westberg just for the 2024 season? Oh, I don't know. That's because we do expect both those guys to have a path to playing time. Maybe it's not quite as clear immediately as Michael Bush's looks right now, but I always struggle with a with a situation like this when you've got an older prospect and, and Scott already acknowledged these things, but it's worth mentioning. It's it's an older prospect. It's a guy who we thought should have been up in 2022. You know, we were kind of pounding the door in a in a you know the royal we as a fantasy community, and then the Dodgers trade him for not nothing. Like like Scott said, these are talented young players, not top 100 prospects, although, you know, I, I was kind of upside. Yeah. And I was, I was following, uh, I can't remember the, the baseball prospectus. One of their prospect guys, um, said that there were, there were discussions about including, uh, God, I'm not sure which one it was. I, I think it was, um, Oh, and Casey. No, no. Jackson Ferris. There were talks about oh, including right. him in their top 100. Oh, okay. uh, prospects yeah, this year. That the so, Cubs actually acquired. Yeah. Yeah. So that, um, yeah, you know, like, I've heard he has the most upside of any of these players, which is, I mean, I think the world of Bush's upside. So that raised my eyebrow. Yeah. So it's, it's not that they give him up for nothing, but like Scott said, relatively low priority guys, not, not guys that, that team that, that the Dodgers were looking at immediately making an impact. And so, right. I do think there's, a chance that Michael Bush is a little overhyped for fantasy, but obviously look, I want to see him get the opportunity. And if he turns into a, a poor man's Max Muncy, that's still a useful player. Mm-hmm. You know, Scott, does he get drafted inside the top 200? Cause as of now, I presume he would not in which case, like there's not a lot of downside to take. Yeah. I, I think it's a late round pick and, and there's very little downside either way. It's just more about, avoiding the hey this guy is now a sure you know a superstar type like i I, and i don't think anybody's saying that but that that's just the oh i I think it's within the realm of possibility but sure it's 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 not a situation where i go into a draft thinking okay i don't need to draft a third baseman because michael bush will be there very late i you know i don't want to put that kind of pressure on him which was probably something that we all might have said this time a year ago about him I'm in a slow draft right now over at the NFBC and I'm two picks away and it's pick 388. Should I take Michael Bush? I probably should take Michael Bush. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. 388. Yeah. Like everybody has made a pick I, I, today and no one I, has I, taken him. So I don't know what's going on. I, I think I ranked him higher to that prior to this trade. <laughs> there, there you go. All right. Let's get into the 2023 breakouts and have a discussion whether or not these players can repeat. Now, I will point out that I crowdsourced this. I asked Twitter, and I basically chose the names that popped up the most slash the names I thought were most interesting. So we will start with Josh Lowe, whose preseason ADP last year was 429, likely got picked up as a free agent in most leagues in fantasy. He finished 27th overall in Roto. He averaged 3.1 fantasy points per game in head-to-head points leagues. I tried to put these players into categories, like what kind of breakout category were they in, I think very clearly a post-hype prospect for uh, for Josh Lowe, who, you know, got called up in 2021, wasn't very good, lowered the strikeouts dramatically, um, 
He got called up in 2022, rather. Lowered the strikeouts dramatically last year. Provided power, speed, 20 homers, 32 steals. Scott, I know you like Josh Lowe quite a bit. Uh, what are the chances that he repeats here in 2024? I think the chances are pretty good. <laughs> you look at the expected stats, they're, they're pretty impressive in their own right. Uh, expected batting average, 85th percentile. Expected slug, 81st percentile. You know, he had he got, he got off to a ridiculously hot start and then really cooled off in the middle of the season, so he would have been a candidate, a good candidate for yesterday's show, actually. If you tuned out in August, you you might have had a different perspective uh, perception of of Josh Lowe because the last couple months he hit well over 300 was on fire and it brought his season stat line up to it legitimized that hot start he got off to it it kind of it, it made it clear it clarified what kind of player Josh Lowe was which is a legit fantasy asset as opposed to uh, this platoon guy who just happened to get hot for a couple months and you know he ended the season with 20 homers and 32 steals and a good batting average. I mean, it's it's kind of just those numbers alone, without considering how young he is, uh, that, you know, he, he lost some at-bats to left-handed pitchers. Just the fact that he hit 292 with 20 homers, 32 steals. You'd think, uh, you'd think he'd be a cinch top 15 outfielder this year, but he's not. He's not a cinch top 20 outfielder even. Um but I don't see anything really in the underlying stats that would scare me away from Josh Lowe. And I think it's more likely than not he becomes a more consistent part of the Rays lineup just because they have fewer sure things in that lineup. His numbers against lefties last year weren't great, but they weren't so bad that it's like, there's no way we can justify starting this guy against left-handers. I think they kind of need to make Josh Lowe the centerpiece of their lineup now. And um, and that's why, for me, he is a top-20 outfielder. Yeah, last year against lefties, Josh Lowe hit 238 with a 712 OPS. So, not good, not terrible, as you pointed out here, Scott. Chris, I will throw it to you. 1-10 to 10 on the breakout repeat-o-meter. That's right, 10 guaranteed to repeat, 1 not even close. Where would he fall uh, on that that scale? Uh, five. I, <laughs> I, I, I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of fives. <laughs> so here's the thing, but specifically with Josh Lowe, Lowe I think <laughs> a lot of players, it, it's not... It's not helpful to think of guys in terms of one possible outcome, right? Right. But that's especially true for a guy like Josh Lowe, who I think there is a really, really low floor because of the team he plays for. If he gets off to a bad start or he gets hurt or he just something goes wrong, there's a decent chance, a better than average for a top 75 pick, certainly chance that he just doesn't have a job. I mean, we, we've seen this with, several high-profile players on the Rays over the past couple of years. Austin Meadows comes to mind coming off of his big breakout season where they're going to try to min-max their way to the playoffs. That's what they do every year. And that means that they might do something that fantasy players hate in order, if they think it makes their chances of making the playoffs 2% better. 
you know, that's what this organization does. And so his median outcome is probably pretty good. But when you're talking about investing a 75, top 75 pick, 75.4 in ADP at, at NFC, uh, I think since, you know, encompassing all of their drafts, that's where it's like, yeah, his, his likelier outcomes might be top 40. But there are some, this guy finishes outside of the top 500 outcomes there. Certainly a lot more than you typically find in that range. And so it's not necessarily, just a spoiler alert, he made my bus 1.0 column, which will be on the site. And at some point in the next three weeks, I don't know when my specific version is coming out. Um, but it's more than I'm happy price about than that because that means more for me. Yeah, I think, I, I'm, I think I'm two for to draft him. I, I think I'm two for two in, in taking him in our mock draft so far. I mean, it, part of it is is a um, part of my enthusiasm for Josh Lowe is a distribution of talent situation where the drop off after you know pretty much right about the point I have him in, in my outfield mm-hmm. rankings, 19th, is extreme. And there are very few high-end outcomes to be found there. And, and I think Josh Lowe clearly mm-hmm. has one. Yeah, I think um, that's totally reasonable. Yeah. All right, let's take our first break. When we return, a catcher. Will he repeat it? Let's find out right after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome back in. Will these breakouts repeat in 2024? Continues on with catcher Yiner Diaz of the Houston Astros. Last year, likely picked up as a waiver wire piece at some point. He finished as the 10th best catcher in Roto. He averaged 2.7 fantasy points per game. That was tied for 7th best among catchers. Breakout category, I guess a prospect breakout. He wasn't really a big prospect name, but he had some huge numbers in the minors, did Yiner Diaz. Uh, and last year, hit 282, 23 homers, and 846 OPS that was the third best OPS among catchers with at least 300 plate appearances. Chris, we'll start with you this time. One to ten on the breakout rapido meter. Five. 
six. Yes. Oh. So, spoiler alert. Yiner Diaz is also on my bus list. Oh, it's kind of he's gonna be on my breakout list. So I, I I find him really interesting because you know obviously the surface level numbers, he kind of just looks like the second coming of Salvador Perez, right? Like he's never gonna walk, doesn't strike out as much as you would think for how aggressive he is because he makes a lot of contact when he swings and he does damage on the contact he makes, but. He had a 44% chase rate last season, which was one of the five highest marks among players with at least as many plate appearances as he had, I believe. And that is not, it's not impossible to overcome that. You know who else had a top 10 chase rate last season? Luis Robert, who was one of the best players in fantasy. Uh, Javier Baez consistently had high chase rates, even when he was good. Nick Castellanos has always had really high chase rates. So that's not, it's not impossible. It's just, you think about the names that I just said, Javier Baez, Nick Castellanos, Luis Robert, Andres Jimenez in his good 2020 season had a very high chase rate. None of those guys have been profiles of consistency in their careers. And so my concern is that it's just, it's a razor thin margin for error. Being a catcher helps a lot because if he hits 250 with 22 home runs, he's a no doubt about it must start catcher. And that's a pretty reasonable floor from where he was. If you look at the the underlying data, it's just, is that the floor or is the floor 220? Because pitchers just don't throw him anything in the zone whatsoever. That's my concern. Well, I think what's reassuring about Yiner Diaz's floor is that early this offseason, in November, actually, Dana Brown, Astros GM, did, did us all such a solid by just outright telling us Yiner Diaz is our starting catcher next year, which we were all clamoring for. No, over the course no of, question, yeah. Over the course of 2022, when they when he was lighting it up every time he would get in the lineup, and, and yet uh, Martin Maldonado continued to get the majority of the work behind the plate. Uh, you make the Salvador Perez comparison there with Yiner Diaz, and I, I, I do think there are some similarities. I will point out that part of what was impressive about Yiner Diaz's rookie season, his expected batting average was 288, mm-hmm. 92nd percentile. Salvador Perez only had one year where he had an expected batting average like that, and it was the 2020 season when he hit 333. Um, so it was an outlier year for him. I think, you know, Yonder Diaz doesn't strike out as much as Salvador Perez. I, I think there's more batting average upside there. And yeah, he's an aggressive hitter. Of course, the chase rate's going to be high when you walk that little. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's, I don't know. He, like, he, he obviously managed to overcome it in a particularly impressive way as a rookie. The power upside is significant. Uh, the fact that he plays catcher and there's so little upside to be found there, I think makes me not at all nervous about drafting him as a top five player at the position. I just, I don't really see a scenario where if I do make the investment in Yiner Diaz, I'm then looking for an upgrade at catcher, um, barring injury, of course. The only thing I don't love about Diaz so far is just the cost. Over the past mm-hmm. month, his ADP is 104 as the fifth catcher off the board. He's 
kind of on an island in ADP because you have Will Smith who goes at 79, pick 79, and then Salvador Perez is at 130 after him. So, mm-hmm. I mean, no one's around him. He's kind of just on a catcher island of ADP by himself right now. I want to maximize plate appearances at the catcher position. I have him ranked behind Salvador Perez and Wilson Contreras. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I just don't see any opportunity for Yiner Diaz to get DH at bats in that lineup uh, because Yiner, um, Jordan Alvarez is obviously mm-hmm. on that team. So I think yeah, but he plays a lot of outfield, Alvarez, and I, I mean they I seem to like. My my point in bringing up the Dana Brown thing is they seem to really like Yiner Diaz. They should. And, he, he seems and, really good. So I I think he'll play. I think he'll just catch a lot. And I don't know that we'll need him to play out off position that much. Though he did get some exposure to first base last year too. And uh, no, I, I mean I do hear what you're saying about the ADP. Like there are enough intriguing bats at catcher that I don't see myself investing at catcher like I, i'd be happy to settle for mitch garver or bo naylor or I, I just don't know that mm-hmm. it's the best use of draft capital to draft yiner diaz but that doesn't mean i don't believe in yiner diaz right all right let's move on to a pitcher finally we have kodai senga who last year had a preseason adp of 184.3 he finished as the sp18 in roto sp25 in fantasy points per game Breakout category, I guess, international prospect. I mean, he just came over and he was awesome. 298 ERA, inflated whip because of that walk rate, a 122 whip, but 202 strikeouts and 166 and a third innings pitched. Scott, you will get the first word here. One to 10 on the breakout rapido meter, Kodai Senga. Oh, I'm going to give him... I don't think I've ever given you a number for any of these players yet. So this is this is the start of me calibrating the rapido meter. Uh, eight, nine, pretty high. Mm-hmm. But it better be high because I have Kodai I have Kodai Senga as my number thirteen starting pitcher for next year. Of course, I'm emphasizing strikeouts, and uh, that's what he does best. But what's I, I think what I think was most encouraging about Kodai Senga's rookie season is the way his control improved over the course of it. Because that was one of the big concerns coming out of Japan was, will this guy throw enough strikes to, uh, to, to, to get the most of, out of his strikeout potential? And early on, it didn't seem that way. Early on, he had a lot of trouble finding the strike zone trying to find the write-up where I actually give the numbers so that I don't have to figure them out on the fly. It was a 12.2% walk rate in the first half. It was around 9% in the second. Yeah, and and there's probably I think there's a point somewhere in the season where it's even more stark contrast than first half, second half. But the point is he got a lot better at uh, throwing strikes, and it didn't hamper his production at all. In fact, it made it so he was able to work deep into games. He went six-plus innings, in all but three of his starts over the final three months, recording double-digit strikeouts in four of those starts over the final three months. So the whip will probably be a little on the high side, and uh, I, I think durability remains. A, that was the other big question coming over from Japan. I, I think that's still a question for Kodai Senga, but if you, like me, uh, consider strikeouts to be the one bankable contribution from starting pitchers in this current environment, then I think you're going to be 
pretty invested in Kodai Senga. Chris, ideally, what would you want if you're drafting Kodai Senga? <laughs> every player we've talked about is on your bus list, so I don't know whether or not you like Kodai Senga or not. But uh, <laughs> if you are drafting him, what would you want him as? Your, would you be fine with him as your SP1, ideally SP2? What do you think? Ideally SP2, but if he was my SP1 and I was really going to hammer upside picks in the, you know, after the top 100 picks, I I, I think I can make that work. Um, he's not really an anchor ace because he doesn't have the, the innings base that I'm looking for if I'm going for an anchor ace. So, you know, that's it becomes a little bit tougher. I, I think ideally he's an SP2, but no, I... I I agree with pretty much everything Scott said. The, the thing to keep in mind with Kodai Senga is the baseball that they use in Japan is different. I believe the the seams are slightly smaller and the the ball is pre-tacked, which is something that MLB has experimented with. I think in the in the Southern League last season in Double A, which was something that we noted with like Andrew Abbott making the leap and he put up you know fifty strikeouts in twenty seven innings or whatever it was. Um, so like there was a transition period, and then that's something that a lot of pitchers coming over from Japan have had to talk about, and that was why Kodai Senga didn't pitch in the World Baseball Classic last year was because he wanted to get used to pitching spring training and get used to using the the MLB baseball. So there was clearly a uh, an adjustment period, and that doesn't mean that he's fixed forever and, and won't walk people, but I, I think the second half and really post-June improvements in walk rate uh, bode very, very well for a guy who has obvious legitimate swing and miss stuff. ADP over the past month for Kodai Senga is 71.5, the 20th starting pitcher off the board. I have him at SP16. Scott has him at SP13. Chris, I don't know if you have your, your rankings readily available, uh, but anything on Senga? 19, which feels a little low where you guys have him, so that that's one that I'll, I'll reconsider and revisit, but... Um, you know, where's his ADP SP 20 picks 71.5. I'm a few spots lower in a ADP overall and my overall rankings, but not enough that I'm, I'm fading him. Certainly. By the way, for, for the audience who wasn't with us throughout November, December, etc. My, my starting pitcher rankings are probably going to seem a little off kilter this season, a little apart from the consensus. And if you're wondering why I'm higher, or lower on a particular pitcher, pitcher compared to the consensus, the answer is probably just strikeouts. <laughs> like I, I devalued pitchers who I didn't think give, gave enough of them, will give enough of them. And I inflated pitchers who I think will give a lot. And Kodai Senga certainly fits uh, the latter description. And just for fun, because it's fun to talk about, his forkball might legitimately be the best pitch in baseball. Yeah, he had a fifty nine point five whiff rate with that pitch last year, and a one eighty two expected woba. That is just completely bonkers, Chris. Yep, it's a ghost. <laughs> Disappears. It's the ghost fork. Oh wait, I think I have a. Do I have it? Nope, I don't have it loaded up. Wait, no, I do. Wait, who you gonna call? Kodai Senga. That's yeah, funny. I didn't get it. The, <laughs> I remember you played that last season, and I had no idea where you were coming from. Yeah, who you there, call? there were so there were two pitches last season that were thrown at least two hundred times by all pitchers that had a higher whiff rate than Kodai Senga's uh, forkball. It was Felix Bautista's splitter and Robert Stevenson's cutter. Ooh, 
Robert Stevenson, so. still a free agent. We'll see where he winds up. Uh, by the way, we're you know kind of hinting at our rankings a little bit. They will be out on the site on Monday. So if you want to check them out, CBSSports.com. Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday. CBSSports.com slash fantasy slash baseball, and you can catch all of our rankings and auction values on the site. Let's move into a trio of outfielders. Can these breakouts repeat? We spoke about Lane Thomas yesterday, but I'm, I don't know that we spoke about him enough, and he was a name that kept popping up. People wanted to hear more about Lane Thomas. So his preseason ADP was 291. He finished as the 21st overall player in Roto, a top 12 outfielder in both Roto and head-to-head points leagues. Breakout category, this is a player that we've seen glimpses of in the past. <coughs> I'm not sure anybody saw this type of upside from Lane Thomas. He hit 28 home runs, 101 runs scored, 20 steals, and some things that he did well, pulled the ball more than ever before, could help him tap into that power, 51% pull rate, it's 46% for his career, and he cut down on pop-ups. His infield fly ball rate has always been massive. It was almost 19% in 2022, down to 9% in 2023. That was a career best. So those are automatic outs. I love to see when hitters are, are cutting down on the pop-ups. Scott, we'll start with you again. Chris you know, got some, some analysis in on Lane Thomas yesterday. Now you're up the breakout rapido-meter on Lane Thomas. Ooh, let's go three. Spoiler alert. Lane Thomas is going to be in my busts for next Ooh. year. I, you know, I didn't include him. I, I probably should have. I was I was afraid it would be one of those situations where uh, everybody would recognize that what he did last year was was unrepeatable, and so he would slide to a point where I'd kind of be obligated to draft him. But based on early ADP, that's not happening. He's He is being devalued from his 2023 value, but not not as much as I'm devaluing him in my own rankings. So, um, so Where yeah, do you I have feel, him? I have him uh, in Roto. One second. I have Lane Thomas 115th. Oh, you love Lane Thomas so much. I have him 193rd. Oh, Jesus. I'm I was going to say one. I have no faith in Lane Thomas. I think he I think he had a really good half year and turned back into Lane Thomas in the the last 70 games of last season he had a 300 woba. His career mark is right around 300. The the quality of contact metrics, his expected woba was 319, uh which obviously that's better than 300, but his actual woba was 334. I I think it was a complete fluke early on in the season. And like he'll still enough bases that it's probably hard to see him completely bottoming out. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I have no interest in Lane Thomas this year. So I, I guess I need to speak for why I have him 80 spots higher than you then kind of playing. You love sides. Lane yeah. Thomas. Well, no, I, I mean, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about Josh Lowe is, is like, where is the upside at outfield? And okay, I, I don't think Lane Thomas is as good as he was last year, but even as bad as he was in the second half, you know, he homered eight times in September and he averaged four steals a month over the last four months. So like just, okay, maybe he hits 220 next year, but he's probably going to keep his job on the Nationals and... Yeah. You know, if he approaches 2020, 
Uh, it's going to be pretty hard to take him out of your lineup in a five outfielder league. And so I, I don't know. I feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I don't think Lane Thomas is nearly as good as he was last year. And I guess I'll just leave it at that. Well, he's that, in- that doesn't mean that doesn't mean he's undraftable. There, he's, that, that'll finish the thought. He's in your bus column, Scott. So you better start yes. thinking about those reasons why he's a bust. Uh, now you gave oh, us we some talked about him. Uh, the ADP over the past month for Lane Thomas one oh six point six, the twenty third outfielder off the board. I just checked. I have him at one thirty three, twenty sixth outfielder. I, I kind of want him a little bit lower in the outfield ranks. I, I wanted to make it a point to be lower than ADP. I, I just. I'm kind of with you guys. I don't think that uh, I want to be in on Lane Thomas in 2024. So you have him. You actually have him higher than I do among outfielders, even though you have him lower overall. Yeah, I guess I need to maybe move some other outfielders up. Maybe they're just so bad. I mean, we we've talked about it, Scott. Yeah. It's just you know, you have Evan Carter ahead of him, right? Uh I think because I was surprised how low Evan Carter's ADP is. Given how I don't think that I do, but enthusiasm he was generating at the end of last season. I have both Rangers rookie outfielders ahead of Lane Thomas. Yeah, me too. I I have Evan Carter behind him, but uh, I guess this is just a big revelation episode for like our busts. But I think Evan Carter is going to be one of my busts. So, uh, but more Hmm. on that to come. Let's talk about TJ Friedel. He's the next one up here. His preseason ADP last year three forty three point six. He finished as the 20th best outfielder in Roto, the 24th outfielder in head-to-head points leagues, and kind of similar to Lane Thomas, we saw some hints of this in 2022 with a little bit of power and speed from TJ Friedel, but overall, last year hit 18 homers, 27 steals. The quality of contact is abysmal. There's no doubt about it, but you know what? He calls Great American Ballpark home where he hit 291, with a 926 OPS. Guess what? He's still on the Reds, so he will still be playing his home games in Cincinnati. Chris, you are up. TJ Friedel, 1-10 to 10 on the breakout Rapido-meter. Two. I, I Sounds right. Expected Woba is not perfect. It does not account for spray angle as much as it probably should, and TJ Friedel is an extreme pull fly ball hitter, and so... He is likely to hit for more power than his, frankly, abysmal quality of contact metrics would make you think. And that is true. That being said, he outperformed his expected Woba by 64 points last season. And over the past five seasons, among players with at least 1,000 plate appearances, the biggest overperformer in expected Woba uh, in Woba minus expected Woba is Jose Altuve at 34. Now, Jose Altuve also, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer or would be if not for the cheating. I don't, I don't want to get into it, but Jose Altuve should is a Hall of Fame caliber player. Isaac Paredes is a very similar profile to TJ Friedel and his Woba minus X Woba is 33. TJ Friedel is outperforming both of those guys by 30 points in this specific metric. That doesn't mean TJ Friedel can't be good moving forward, but this is another one where if we got to May 1st and TJ Friedel wasn't on the roster, I wouldn't be shocked. Like if he got sent down, that, that wouldn't surprise me. 
I think he's he can he might there are marginal outcomes in his range of outcomes. And so mm-hmm. this is another one. I'm not quite as low on him relative to ADP as I am Lane Thomas, but it's another one that there's almost no way I'm gonna draft TJ Friedel. Yeah, I agree almost completely, though I think my drop meters calibrated a little differently from yours because I'm gonna go four here on TJ Friedel. Um and I, I think the biggest concern is just that with all the young talent, the Reds are graduating. TJ Friedel and his second percentile X slug could just get forced out of there. But it it's clear he, he knows how to take advantage of that environment in Cincinnati and maximize his out power output that way. That's where what 13 of his 18 home runs were hit last year. So like he's he's capable of doing that. I don't think he's gonna get hit. I don't think he's going to hit 18 home runs again, but 12 to 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd bet on that as long as he he does keep his job. And, you know, he's good at getting on base. Uh, they batted him lead off a lot. And even though he's a left-handed hitter, he was at his best against left-handed pitchers last year. Actually hit over 350 against lefties last year. And so I think that... Uh, I, I, I don't think he's a platoon risk and that might be that might help his job security. Uh so I don't think TG Fradel's that good, but I think he's in a really good situation and as long as he doesn't fall flat on his face, he'll probably get to take advantage of it still with enough power and enough speed that he'll remain a must start in five outfielder leagues. I believe I saw this stat somewhere. I'm trying to find it now, but I believe he led all of baseball in bunt hits too, where they would, they would, I don't know, semi shift against him, I guess, and he would just drop down a bunt, and he, he had an absurd number, like twelve or fifteen bunt hits, which obviously inflated the batting average from last year because he doesn't hit the ball all that hard, and he has a massive infield fly ball rate, seventeen percent. That's that's really high. Again, those are automatic outs. That that's bad, man. So, uh, yeah, don't. Don't he love had 17 it. bunt hits. 17 bunt hits. Like, yeah. how repeatable is that? Look, we I think we're all expecting the batting average to come down. He's probably more of like a 240, 250 hitter with like, I don't know, a little bit of power and, and maybe a decent amount of speed. But like you guys have talked about, there are different avenues for this to go terribly wrong for TJ Friedel and for him to be out of a job. The ADP the past month, 148.3 as the 34th outfielder off the board. I will not be paying that price in 2024. Let's take our final break. When we return, I've got one more outfielder and two more pitchers here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back in. Can these breakouts repeat in 2024? I mentioned we have one more outfielder, Chaz McCormick. He had a preseason ADP last year of 417. Likely wound up being a waiver wire ad for many people. Finished as the 31st outfielder in Roto. Averaged three fantasy points per game. Breakout category, pretty much a surprise, right? I don't know that anyone saw this coming for McCormick. He showed a little bit in the minors, but not really anything like this. I think this this is the most, maybe the most surprising breakout of of all of 2023 because he was just a non, it was a 28-year-old who hadn't shown anything in the majors and didn't have a prospect pedigree, and suddenly he became... Uh, so good that we were getting angry at Dusty Baker whenever he took that line. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, it's the numbers for Chaz McCormick, 273, 22 homers, 18 steals, and 842 OPS. And like Yiner Diaz, his teammate, McCormick has been given a vote of confidence by his GM, Dana Brown. He said this earlier in the offseason, quote, Chaz McCormick will play every day, splitting between left field and center field. So makes you feel good. You know, hopefully some reassurance there on Chaz McCormick. Scott, you are back up 1 to 10 on the breakout rapido meter, Chaz McCormick. <sighs> I really want Chaz McCormick to be good because I think the outfield position needs Chaz McCormick to be good. <laughs> Boy, things are really bad at outfield. <laughs> but they really are. It's hard to be optimistic. It's hard. To, it, it was hard to be optimistic as it was playing out, and yet it kept going. And, and the fact that Astros do seem to be committed to him now, the fact that he's in the Astros lineup and gets all the benefits that come from that, I think are points in Chaz McCormick's favor. But you know, he over uh, outperformed. It like he was he was a he overachieved according to his expected stats, and his strikeout rate was pretty bad and um yeah i just think uh i just think given his history and given those underlying numbers uh it's more likely than not that Chaz mccormick takes a step back this year so on the rapido meter i'm going to say he's a three i'm gonna put him with lane thomas oh lower than tj friedel yeah Mm. all right i think in a vacuum i i would rather have Chaz mccormick than friedel Obviously, yes, fault. that's not the question when you asked me. Right. But I mean, Chaz, Chaz McCormick. You're saying it's less likely for McCormick to repeat what he did. Right. Yet TJ Friedel just had a better season. No, I think Chaz McCormick's was better than TJ Friedel. Like more power. Um, Maybe yeah, I, I think I think Chaz, I think if Chaz McCormick is who he was in 2023, that's a better. And, and like you give them comparable number of at bats. That's a better player. Well, who would you rather have? Chaz McCormick. Okay, I agree with that. Uh, look, yeah. for everything you said, the strikeout rate is elevated. The expected number is not great. There were some things that he did do well. An 11% barrel rate, that was 72nd percentile. He's decently fast, according to sprint speed, 72nd percentile. So there are yeah. some things that kind of favor power and speed there for McCormick. And again, it's a great ballpark for righty, and it's a really good lineup. Uh, Chris, your thoughts on Chaz McCormick repeating or coming anything close to what he did last year? The completely out of nowhere mid to late 20s breakout is a very lucrative profile to fade. 
Brandon Drury and Taylor Ward come to mind just from last year's Angels team. The Drury um, was good. They, neither of them was ter- were terrible. You know, Taylor Ward ended up with like a 760 OPS. I could see something like that for Chaz McCormick. That's where he was before. I think that's the likelier outcome. So if he's playing every day and he's a mid to high 700s OPS bat, I, th- I think he can be useful. There were some tangible changes in his game, the the pulling the ball part, especially uh, he had like three home runs in 2022 to the left side of the field. He is right-handed hitter last year. That was way higher. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's a fluke. It's also the kind of thing that might just get exploited as pitchers get more tape on him. So I think the likeliest outcome is Chaz McCormick doesn't come anywhere close to being as good as he did last year, but he might still be a, a fringe useful outfielder. I think what I'm learning today is that we're probably fading the middle part of the outfield. Like, get yeah. your outfielders early, and then maybe I was low. Yeah, I don't want to settle for these guys. You know, get some outfielders early-ish, and then I think there are still a lot of really interesting outfielders going later on. But like the the middle part, I guess the glob of the outfield, Scott, yeah. just does not feel great. Look, there's. Some upside names in there. There's Jackson Churio. There's Wyatt Langford. There's Evan Carter. I, I get that. But, like, there are a lot of names kind of like these three that that we're talking about here today. Of all the names, you know, of the McCormick, Friedel, Lane Thomas, I'm, mo- I'm more likely to take McCormick at cost than the other two. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, he's cheaper. I don't think that it, it's it's not really someone I'm going out of my way to target, uh, which has McCormick. I mentioned we have two pitchers we want to talk about. And. It's so interesting that I feel like I'm too low on this player, so why don't I just move him up? I don't know. Maybe I should do that. Justin Steele, he had a preseason ADP last year of 291.4, and he damn near won the NL Cy Young Award. He finished as the ninth starting pitcher in Roto, the fifth starting pitcher in fantasy points per game. The breakout category, we saw him be good in 2022, and we just didn't buy it. Maybe we should start to buy it. He had a 306 ERA, a 117 whip, just over a strikeout per inning. He improved his control dramatically. He went from 3.78 walks per nine in 2022 down to 1.87 in 2023. You know, what still remains in the back of my mind is that he's a two-pitch pitcher who doesn't throw very hard, left-handed, 91, 92 miles per hour on the fastball, but a very good slider. Chris, you get the first word. One to ten on the breakout o meter, Justin Steele. You probably will never go broke betting against pitchers, one, you know, especially pitchers who finished in the top three in Cy Young voting the previous year. It's just generally a, a good bet that if a guy has a huge breakout in that regard, he's probably going to regress. I don't find myself scared off of Justin Steele, though. Like, like I think he's unlikely to sustain all of the gains he made in terms of his control last season. You know, the 5% walk rate was literally half what it was the previous year. Not quite literally. It was one point away from being literally half. So I guess I shouldn't have said literally. I digress. Uh, But (laughs) his fastball plays up in a lot of ways, despite being, you know, a, a low 90s pitch. Now it's if you've been following baseball for more than about five years, the idea of an, a lefty who throws 91.8 miles per hour with his fastball being like a soft tosser will kind of blow your mind because that's new. But his slider's really good. His fastball gets really good results. He does a really good job pitching on the edge of the strike zone. 
I think the margin for error is relatively slim with his profile. And I, I think some regression with the walk rate, he might be more like a mid threes pitcher in terms of ERA, but I think he's legit in terms of being good. Mm-hmm. Whether he repeats last year, I'll, I'll, I'll say a five. You know, I think it's. Yeah, it's, he, he probably regresses in every way without necessarily being a dramatically worse pitcher, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I feel like that kind of applies to this whole exercise when we say, do they repeat their breakout? Do we just mean like directionally or do we mean like precisely? Is he going to be precisely who he was last year or is he going to continue to be on the side of good that he joined, the side of the force that he joined uh, during 2023? And I, I think, yeah, Justin Steele is... Good, and I was kind of marveling at this earlier today, actually, how I was fighting people about Justin Steele all year, it seemed like, about, ah, regression is coming. And they were like, no way, man, Justin Steele is the king. <laughs> and um, and now, comparing where I have him to ADP, I'm high on Justin Steele. Like, I've become... I've become the high guy on Justin Steele, which wasn't by design. I, I don't know where all the believers went. Maybe I was just preaching to the choir all year when I was talking down Justin Steele. And um, it was just a, a vocal minority fighting against me. But I think, you know, 320, 330 ERA with more than a strikeout per inning, uh, you know, generally works deep into games, going to give you pretty good win potential. I think that's great as a number two starter this year. I mean, number three, I'm getting more like a number three starter, it seems like, and uh, I'm happy to take advantage of that. So I'll go seven on the believo meter or whatever we're calling it for Justin <laughs> Steele. The breakout rapido meter, which is meter. way too long of a phrase. Chris, you started your analysis on Steele talking about how fading a pitcher who was like top three in the Cy Young is, is probably a favorable strategy. I, I would think more often than not, Top three in Cy Young means your ADP is higher than being the 29th starting right. pitcher off the board. Like that's where you know, that's, it's it's a lot easier to fade Blake Snell, yeah, than Justin Steele right now. And, and even Snell, I mean, Snell won the Cy Young. He's, I think he's SP 15 in ADP. I mean, even that I think is a decent example of people aren't really valuing the players based on what they did last year, which is good. I mean, that, that means like everyone. In fairness. Everyone's smart, and you know we we know what to look. Steel finished fifth in Cy Young. Yeah. All right. So what did I say? Top three, close enough. I said top three. I misled everyone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's the SP twenty nine. Justin Steele is an ADP. I have him at twenty seven. I've got to find a way to get him higher because yeah, I think that's perfectly reasonable. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap up with Tanner Bybee, who had a preseason ADP. 605. I don't know. Outside of draft and hold leagues, was not drafted. Uh, he was someone that. You spent a lot of fab on, and he paid off because he had a 2.98 ERA, a 118 WHIP, right around a strikeout per inning. Uh, doesn't seem to have overpowering stuff like compared to like his cohort, I guess, like the Bobby Millers and Grayson Rodriguez's of the world. But man, he has two awesome secondary pitches with the slider and the changeup. Pitches on a team that does a great job developing starting pitchers and the Guardians. Scott. Tanner Bybee, 1 to 10 on the breakout repeatometer. I'm going to give Tanner Bybee like a 6. 
I, I think what stands out most for me with Tanner Bybee is that he is how far behind Grayson Rodriguez, Bobby Miller, that whole sophomore sophomore upside pitcher class. Like Bybee is not getting the respect he deserves because he was right there with them for his rookie season in terms of how he performed. Uh, great control pitcher. And in fact, I, I think, you know, he, he walked almost three per nine as a rookie, like, but that was his standout trait in the minors. And so the fact that he had a sub three ERA as a rookie, even without dominating and control, like he was supposed to, I think that bodes well for his future. And, um, I think there's a lot of upside here. I, I think he might even be able to do better than he did as a rookie. I don't know that he can improve on a 290 ADRA, but in every other respect, I think that's a, likely outcome for Tanner Bybee. Where does the lack of excitement from t- for Tanner Bybee come from? I think it might you know? be a bit of fatigue, Chris, because we have so many young starting pitchers yeah. up at the same time. And you just, again, you look at Bobby Miller and, and Grayson Rodriguez, they throw 100 miles per hour. But he was better than all of them. He was. And yeah, he was. The, I, like, it's a weird one where all he did was dominate in the minors. There are no workload or injury concerns, as far as I know. I, he he only threw 29. No, that was 2020, so that probably doesn't matter. I, as far as I can tell, there are no injury concerns or, or workload concerns with him. He threw 157 innings last season, threw 132 the year before. It seems like a, a decent bet for 180 or 190 if he stays healthy and doesn't seem to have more any more injury risk than any other young pitcher, which means he has a lot of injury risk. Um but it, it kind of seems like it was just a case where people weren't excited about him when he got called up or at least weren't as excited about him as Grayson Rodriguez or, or uh, Bobby Miller or some of those guys. And so we're just not giving him the benefit of the doubt that a lot of young pitchers seem to get. But I don't know. There, there doesn't seem to be much in the profile to scoff at, right? Like hmm. he doesn't throw 100. He averages 95 with his fastball. Yeah, this is another one where, like, I've been watching baseball long enough that 95 not being a flamethrower is weird to me. 95 with your fastball averaging is still plenty hard. That's still above average. Uh, the, the multiple secondaries, success at every single level, including the majors. I, I think this is one where it's just people are sticking too much to a pre-breakout prospect pedigree that wasn't there in a way that probably doesn't make sense. I I think he's someone who deserves more credit than he's gotten. And and I think it's completely reasonable to expect a decent step forward as a strikeout pitcher as well. Yeah. I don't know because when I, you know, I make out my rankings before any ADP data is available. And that was one of the biggest surprises to me because I do slot by B right behind those other Mm -hmm. upside sophomore pitchers. Uh, I, uh, you know, we mentioned his 298 ERA for the year. Over his final 15 starts, it was a 233 ERA, and he actually did have more than a strikeout per inning during that 15 start stretch. So that was that was a more impressive run than Grayson Rodriguez went on, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure the upside's that different. So I don't, I, I don't know why everybody's sleeping on Bybee. Yeah. I guess I probably would add my sleepers. Yeah, he's a SP 33 for me. So I think I probably have him a little lower than you do, Scott, but that's still 
a decent amount clear of of where he's ranked overall, I believe. You are right in line with ADP, Chris. Over the past okay. month, 118 overall, SP33 for Tanner Bybee. I have him a little bit higher, SP30. I like him. I've done a few drafts so far. I haven't wound up with him, so I think I want to change that. I think I want to make it more of a priority. I wonder if people are looking at the ERA peripheral numbers, a 422 XFIP, a 419 Sierra, and maybe that's slightly scaring them away, but might just over be overthinking it. He is a fly ball pitcher. Maybe there's a little bit of regression in that way. He gives up a few more home runs. But I think the walk rate is going to improve. I agree with you there, Scott. So uh, looks like there could be a buying opportunity for Tanner Bybee here in 2024. All right, we're going to wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. 